Hello and welcome to the Tightwad Teacher Podcast, brought to you by Element Opie Productions, elementopie.com. And now, here are your hosts, John Mikulski and Brian Brueger. Hello everybody, welcome to the Tightwad Teacher, episode 25, The Gift of Free Tools from the Cool Cat Teacher, for December 27th, 2011. Uh, I'm John Mikulski, your host, and joining to me is just a list, a long list of uh, folks today. Joining me as always is my co-host Brian Brueger. Brian, say hi. Uh, good day to you all. Hello. And then also right now joining us is um, our commander-in-chief, Mark Cockrell of the Tightwad Tech and also Element OP. Uh, we, we keep calling him the Overlord. Mark, what's your official title? Yeah, I think what you called me recently was Supreme Overlord, and I kind of yeah. like that. I think I'm going to put like that, that on my business cards. <laughs> Supreme Overlord. I like that. Yeah. So Mark will, and we'll explain in a minute why Mark is joining us. And then in addition, we actually have our guest with us early and she's kind of sitting and listening uh, and we'll be getting to her in just a second. But Vicki Davis is also here. Vicki, say hi. Hi, how are you? So um, we just want to start off before we get to Vicki, uh, just with a, a quick warm up. And I actually want to talk again about Mark a little bit because this is actually the second time in one week that he's had to endure me for a while because I was actually on uh, the other Element Opie show recently, the periodic table. And I wanted to talk about that. Uh, I believe it was what, number four? Uh, that sounds right. Yeah. So it's a new show. Uh, it's a new show, and the basic gist of it, Mark came to, to us and said, you know, now that there is uh, what, something like six shows on the network. Um, he wanted to have a chance for all the hosts to get together and talk with each other and, and just banter on about random stuff. And that's right up my alley. So I decided to hop on last week's, and I believe it just came out, and we got to talk about everything ranging from um, eating horses to political stuff and back to eating horses. That seemed to be pretty much the bulk of what we talked about. <laughs> But uh, well, you I forgot to taxation st- and gun control. That was in there. Yeah, too. that was the stuff. I you know I got real quiet during the important stuff. I didn't you were really have much Sudoku to say. Then, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was it was a really great time, and it, it's it's a great show because it really is just an opportunity for the hosts to get out and, and chat a little bit, and uh, you get to know their personalities and, and I guess network amongst the the podcasts. So uh, that was a really cool time, and I'm actually I think I'm going to have to do a couple more of those. And Brian, I'm going to have to drag you into it as well. I, I don't know. All this political gun control, it sounds dangerous, which you're might be fr- fun. You're from Florida. <laughs> That's all right up your alley. Come on now. Yes, yeah, but I'm too much of a, uh, a a bait and run. You know, I'll throw something out there just to stir the pot a little bit. Well, you see, so. and that's perfect because one of our other hosts, Eric, will take the bait no matter what you throw out there. So uh, that's a great combination. <laughs> you know, I well, noticed that. Great. If if we didn't have all the video up, I would really think as we were recording that episode that Eric was just drinking more and more because he just kept getting more and more adamant. Like as we went by the end, he was like preaching, um, but that wasn't the case. He wasn't drinking, at least that I could tell from the video stream. But uh, yeah, it was it was a good time. It was kind of cool. So um, I guess now for all of our listeners, in addition to subscribing to us, uh, you should probably take a look at the periodic table as well. All right. So that's all for me. Uh, Brian, anything new for you? Um, new. Well, we have uh, our, what we call holiday break coming up here. So just last night, um, I got to play drums with a bunch of um, kindergarten through eighth graders and um, in a big show with over 800 people there. And so that was pretty exciting um, kind of way to start our last week before the holiday break and now that the big show's over and nobody wants to be at school, um, 
And it's just kind of a collective, what are we doing here for the week? So (laughs) it should be pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, you were talking uh, last episode about how you you got to sit in for the kids. Now, the the kindergartners, they didn't show you up or anything, did they? Uh, No, um, but it was definitely a challenge, if you will, to um, keep the four uh, student drummers that were drumming with me, um, try to keep everything together. It was interesting to say the least, but we had a good write up in the uh, local newspaper and everything like that. So it's it's always good uh, good to get good press. Yeah, that positive PR. I think every school needs that right now for sure. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, I guess uh, what let's not keep her waiting anymore. Uh, if if she's ready, Vicky Davis, uh, why don't we we start the conversation? Vicky, are you all set? I am. All right. Well, let me let me try the proper introduction. You know, there's just so much you could say about you. But um, Vicki Davis, she is a teacher and IT director uh, in Camilla, Georgia at Westwood Schools. And you probably know her best as the cool cat teacher, because that's how I knew her. I think even before I was on Twitter years and years ago, that was just a name going through like grad school as a, a teacher. That was just a, a name that everybody knew. It was right up there with all the other big ones. So, um, Vicki, welcome to the show and, and thank you for joining us today. We're really excited to have you here. Really glad to be here. Excited. Yeah. So before we, we start off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what it is that you do? I'm a full-time teacher at Westwood Schools. Um, uh, co- I've been teaching now for 10 years. Uh, co-organizer of something called the Flat Classroom Projects, uh, named after uh, Tom Friedman's book, The World is Flat. We actually studied the trends. It's grown into about six projects now. Uh, this past semester, we had 1,600 kids collaborating on three projects. So we'll have five, six, seven hundred 700 kids on a wiki. We have them creating videos. We have a big competition. And then we even have pre-service teachers that are in college that'll mentor or judge it's just very exciting what's happening with the flattening of the classroom with that so I do that as well as handle my three children and uh, vlog and travel sometimes and uh, you know but the thing is is yeah I've actually only been blogging for six years uh, which is not really very long in blog time um, but I really just like to be be the teacher. You know, I want to relate to real average everyday teachers and to help find uh, teachers. I had a conversation with some folks on Facebook today. Somebody had called another EduBlogger rock star. And I said, you know, I don't really like that term because, you know, we all need to just be average everyday teachers and average everyday teachers. Directors just helping each other through um, learning how to use these tools and connecting our classrooms, and that's really what I want to be. You know, you bring up an excellent point. Um, I'm just last year I started teaching. In addition, I'm a, an eighth grade English teacher, but in addition to that, I picked up uh, a course at a local college teaching a graduate level teachers program, and I really enjoyed doing it. And it was all about integrating technology. And at one point, one of the teachers I work with, one of my colleagues said, well, you know, would you ever consider moving straight into higher ed and doing that full time? And I thought for a minute and thought said, I couldn't do that because after you're out of the classroom for only a few months, you basically become irrelevant. Everything that you knew doesn't make sense anymore and it doesn't really fit. So it, you do kind of have to have uh, a foot in both worlds to, to stay relevant. So absolutely, I love your answer that, you know, you're a teacher first before everything else. 
Yeah, you know, there's a place for college professors because there's so many amazing college professors. There's the chatty prof, who's somebody I really like to follow now on Twitter. And there's Dr. Z, uh, Lee Zeitz from the University of Northern Iowa, Eric Brunzel, a lot of different people that we work with. And, you know, they really have a calling too. And they do such a great job of using technology and they have hashtags and they do all these cool things. So, you know, I'd never, you know, put down a, a college professor. I think the only thing that ever worries me is these people graduating. I have a friend who a local school of education, very reputable one uh, here in the state of Georgia, and came to my school and she said, okay, I'm done with my ed degree and now I have to learn how to really teach. She had never heard of a wiki. She had never heard of a blog. Um, she hadn't heard of anything. And here she is coming out of one of the best schools here in the state of Georgia and didn't know a thing. And that is the disservice because we're preparing teachers for the kind of education that these college professors had. And so the kind of professors that I really kind of uh, look up to are those who are brave and step outside the box to actually use these tools in their classroom and to connect their because a, a teacher in in a pre-service teacher should graduate from college with the connections already set they should know people from around the world they should already you know oh I know another eighth grade teacher who's going to be teaching in China or Australia like these education schools that are excellent should already be hooking these pre-service teachers together because I know when I went to Georgia Tech the reason that people hired engineers from Georgia Tech and still do is because they have a bleeding edge knowledge of technology that you don't have if you've been in engineering for 20 years. Now, the, the people who've been in engineering for 20 years you obviously have the experience. Well, that's what we should have with these teachers graduating from college. They should have the bleeding edge knowledge of technology, and it is just the opposite, and that's a huge disservice. Oh, absolutely. We actually had this very similar conversation with a previous guest. We had um, Dr. John Hadley on, who's from, I think, the University of Alabama, but he does a, a technology program at his school, at his college, and he does a lot of his through um, Twitter. And that's a great way to get those connections like you were talking about because he has a hashtag that's dedicated to the class. And I know I follow that hashtag and then I throw stuff in. And there's been times already just in the last two semesters where his former students are now following me and they'll contact me either with questions or ideas or looking to collaborate. And you're absolutely right. Those are the kinds of things that it's amazing that uh, someone will come out of a graduate program or even an undergraduate program and they're already behind. So we're totally yeah. off the subject. We're, we're off track already, but that's absolutely oh, a, that's a fundamental okay. problem. But, <laughs> but really, it's related because we have the fact is they're not going to get it in school. They've got to be lifelong learners. So how how do they find free tools and where are some places they can start? So, you know, I think this is related. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and one other title that I guess you, you missed before we, we get any further, of course, you do this stuff with the flat classroom and your teacher as well, but you also can add author to your title of accomplishments. Yes. So tell us yeah. a little bit, you have a new book coming out. I do. I actually have two books coming out next year. The first book is the Flat Classroom book with co-authored with Julie Lindsay. It's called Flattening Classrooms, Engaging Minds. And you can go to flatclassroombook.com and see information. Now, the exciting thing about this book is we didn't want it to be words on a page. We do have a color ebook that's coming out that has all the links and all that sort of thing. We are publishing with Pearson Publishing. So for now, it's just going to be on iBooks. We wish it would be on Kindle, but you know, we are where we are. But it'll be color. It'll be beautiful. But the thing that we really um, are wanting to do is to make the book an experience. So everywhere when we mention a person, we have their uh, their Twitter handle, 
in their blog. So we have follow me in the in the margins, but we also have QR codes. So if you're if you're reading the book and we mentioned a video, you can snap it with your cell phone. You know, I could kind of picture a college student sitting at their desk and or sitting at a picnic table with their cell phone reading this book and snapping a picture and watching the video on their cell phone. So we're trying to integrate all the tools we're talking about um, to try to to bring teachers into the experience. And so we've got a global book club that's going to kick off um, with the guys um, from Engaging Ed in February. And our goal is if we can get enough people going through the book at the same time that we'll know it's successful, uh, not by how many books it's sold, but by how many global projects come out of it. Because it's time to start connecting and living it. Um, I could care less about having a dead book in a corner that somebody's just going to sell back to the bookstore or something. It's really about having an experience and challenging our thinking and how can we be lifelong learners and, and how can we find people. So it's about connecting and our goal has been to put as many different projects and things out there, not just Flight Classroom, um, and feature as many people as we can so that they know how to connect. And in fact, one of the th steps you'll like is is actually about joining online conversations, just like yours, uh, because that's an important part of professional development. Uh, and we've got to get past this binge professional development where you sit there for 10 hours and you have somebody lecture to you about project-based learning. And you're like, okay, now what did I just, what just happened, you know? Oh, yeah, there's a time and place. Anything. Yep, there's it a time and place. It was not project-based learning that just happened. No, it was not. Um, I'm, I'm currently, I don't know if anyone in the, the conversation knows this, I'm currently in a, a, a graduate program for administration, for, for leadership. And I recently had to take a, a, pro, or a class uh, just called personnel. And uh, it was online. <laughs> so I learned about people skills and how to deal with people in an online chat room. Oh, <laughs> so my goodness. Certainly a time and place for everything. But, you know, it, not to say that there's there's definitely something uh, good that can come out of online conversations if you know how to do it right and where to find it. Well, we actually talk about that in the book. That's what we call techno-personal skills. You've got... Mm -hmm intrapersonal skills, which is how I relate to myself. And then you've got interpersonal, which is dealing with another person. But then you've got technopersonal, which is a subset of interpersonal. And that's when you have technology in between because technology adds a context that you don't have. So we can see each other's faces. So I can pick up on your body language here, you know, but when you're online and you're not synchronous and you're not seeing video, there's no body language. It's all emoting and emoticons and the, the language of the web. And so we've got to bring that into our classrooms. A lot of schools are afraid to bring the web in because of all the problems they're going to have. But, you know, when kids are together in the hall, you know, one's going to knock into another and they're going to duke each other, you know. And when they're in online classrooms, things are going to happen. But the beautiful thing about an online classroom is that you can't have it more signed, sealed, and delivered in terms of what happened. You know, a lot of people are upset because they see the bullying that happens, and they're just so shocked, and they think it's it's happening so much. Well, I think it was happening that much all along. We can just see it now. That's yeah, a good it, thing. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, and it does. It makes it worse because the Internet's forever. So it looks like there's a lot more going on in the Internet because it's saved. There's a, an archive of it. Vicky, yeah. I'd just like to say it's it's a shame you don't have any passion about this. I really wish you could be more <laughs> energetic when you speak. Yeah. I was hoping for a more dynamic conversation oh, today, Vicky. I don't know. No. Uh, y'all are just all you're talking about y'all, I know I say the southern stuff, but you know, this is the beautiful thing is I am sitting here in my tiny little town of fifty three hundred people and shrinking. And my city decided to put in high 
speed internet. And so because of that, I'm able to talk to you and, I'm, and my, my students are able to talk to the world. And there's still so many people in rural uh, America that would love, or rural anywhere, that would love the opportunity to share and contribute to their industry. And, you know, I get the best of both worlds. I get to be here with my three children. I get to cook dinner every night. I have a three-minute commute to school, two minutes to the grocery store, and I get to write and then talk to to folks like you guys, so um, it's really a, a great uh, it's a great day if you have access and know how to oh, use it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's actually kind of a good uh, transition into our next part because you have all kinds of access and, and know how about all kinds of cool technology tools and, and things for the classroom, and that's really what we wanted to focus on today for the show. Um, is and that's why we titled it the gift of free tools from the Cool Cat Teacher. These are all we thought would be your free gifts because this will be coming out right around Christmas for all the educators who listen to our show. I think there's like four of them now. And uh, <laughs> we, I don't know, who knows? Um, well, Miguel I mean, is pretty influential well, now. So he's a great guy. <laughs> if he's in your chat, that's a pretty big deal. Oh, I don't, well, that's good. Well, Miguel, thank you for listening. And uh, then the other three would be myself, uh, Mark and Brian. But um, anyway, I, I guess Miguel, I'm looking your forward check to will be in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess our focus for the show today was really just to give you a chance to share some of your favorites, some of your favorite technology tools. Um, thinking down the line, you know, we're only a week and a half away from New Year's. So I'm sure there's a lot of teachers out there looking to make those resolutions, right? What they're, they're going to change for next year, what they're going to do to enhance themselves. So maybe this is a good spot for them to start. Uh, so, Vicki, why don't you start us off? Uh, just what are you thinking in terms of free tools? Where would we start if we wanted to find a list of those? Well, I've got, I dropped in the chat um, a presentation I did a while back at the GISA conference here in Georgia just to share some of those free tools. But I think that, you know, my very first experience with all of this, I was at the Georgia Association of Educators Technology Conference in Atlanta. I didn't know a soul. I was there by myself. Nobody would go with me. And I was going to be there for three days. And I sat down and there was a guy with all these ribbons and he looked really important. And it was David Warlick, who I know oh, you know geez. who he is. Yep. And I turned around and I had been scanning the program and I was so clueless. I'd been teaching technology for four years, but, you know, programming and real geeky stuff, but I was not into Web 2. And I turned around and I said, um, what's a Blicky and how should I use it in my classroom? So I actually mixed blog and wiki. <laughs> I, I didn't even say it right. And he said, well, it depends on what you want to do. And he was so respectful to me. He was so kind. He didn't say, you big idiot. You don't right. know what blog and a wiki is. But anyway, he was just real nice. It said it always starts with what you want to do. So when you're looking for tools, you always want to start with what you what you want to do in the classroom. And I think it's important to remember that when you talk about writing and getting kids to write, if you can get them to write about what they're passionate about, that's important. Now, we're very good at teaching third-person essay writing in schools, which is the plain old MLA or APA paper, you know, and the kids don't really like it very much, but they do it a lot. We don't let them write in first person, but the blog is really the modern essay. It is first person, and they should be able to write and, and know their voice. So I really think that every student, before they graduate from high school, should have uh, experience with first person writing, which is blogging but then should also have experience with collaborative writing. And those are two very different kinds of writing. So one of the first challenges I would say would be for a teacher to find a good blogging platform or really a school to find it. Because eventually, you know, we need to get past this piecemeal of Miss Smith is doing this and Miss Jones is doing that and, and Mr. Amigo is doing that. I mean, this is crazy. We're just so 
here and there and harem scare them that we're scaring them. I mean, you know, they don't know where to go and they're getting so many links. And uh, so really a school-wide strategy, whether it's a Moodle or whatever, is great. Uh, but they do need, I think, to have their own blog. Now, we started my school with Class Blogmeister. Then we went to Think.com. Both of those are free tools. Um, now, the younger kids, we've actually got them on Edmodo, which is wonderful. Um, I use a Ning with my older kids because it is just a Ning. You don't have to teach them. It's so much like Facebook. It does charge now, so that's not a free tool anymore. But right. there are some free Nings that you can join with your kids. Of course, there's EduBlogs, which is built on WordPress. And WordPress is by far one of the best blogging platforms. I think if I knew what I know today, I probably wouldn't have put Cool Cat Teacher on Blogspot. I'm kind of stuck now because of all the search engine stuff. I probably would have done it on WordPress. Um, but if you want the kids to have their own WordPress blog, you know, EduBlogs is, is a great way to go. There are also some other places like Primary Blogger. Um, but, you know, there are all these different places that they can blog. And you need to look for it and find, um, find where you want to where you want to blog. So that would be the first thing. Um, I also think that it's important for teachers to have their own voice and to share. So you guys, y- y'all all each have your own blog. Is that, is that right? Oh, yeah. And I agree with you. I know what you're, you're getting to. I always say I, I try to update my blog a lot because it is practicing what you teach. You know, I always tell my kids as an English teacher that you should be practicing writing and you should be writing for enjoyment and for expression, not just because it's an assignment. So I, I think I just stole the the, the the wind out of your sails. Sorry about that. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh no, you didn't. No, I, like, I mean I'd really like this to be a conversation, and you guys, uh, I feel like I'm talking the whole time, and I know I want to share my part, but you you guys, I can tell that um, who is that in the top? He looks like he's dying to say something. That that's Brian. Brian. <laughs> I was just gonna say one of the things I've found successful when you're looking at these, because I know the teachers listening are probably going, okay, she just rattled off all of these options. <laughs> Where do I start? And, you know, look at some samples, look at somebody's that you like, you know, if they have, you know, really like your blog site or, you know, some other blog site, look at those. And essentially, my advice is that there isn't a right one or a wrong one. There are different ones. And right. so just give something, you know, give it a shot and, and, and try something because something is better than nothing. One exactly. of the beautiful things about the modern internet is failure is practically free. So you can fail <laughs> as many times as you want, and, and then you'll find what works. Well, you know, you start the kids in, in a platform that you select, but eventually they should have their own blog. Um, I've got a student right now that um, I taught how to blog when she was in 10th grade, and she's a sophomore in college, and she's knitting. It's called the Motley Sunflower. I'll have to find it and throw it in there. But she's knitting and paying for college by selling the things she knits on her blog and Facebook. And nobody taught her how to blog. She didn't learn how, you know, she learned how at school in my class in 10th grade, you know, four years ago. So, you know, they need to have their own blog and have their own voice and know how to do this. It's for their future. So you kind of start off as a class and then move on. But you're totally right. You, You just start somewhere. Find a place that you're comfortable. I started very restrictive. Think.com has one of the best profanity filters out. You know, it's very restrictive. It takes two weeks to get approved by Oracle to get into that thing. You know, then Class Blogmeister, um, which is another great tool. But, um, you know, I think as you start seeing that kids really want to write well and are actually very responsible, you kind of loosen up. And now I don't pre-approve what they post. I used to. I mean, why bother? They, they know what I expect and, and they never let me down. Um, 
but I have a track record of if somebody ever gets close to the line that I deal with it very quickly and, and I just don't have any problems. So, you know, I think that blogging is something to, uh, that, that every teacher should have or every school should definitely have uh, before a kid graduates. Did y'all have anything y'all wanted to add to the blogging piece? No, I think you covered a lot of good ones. I'm glad that you had Edmodo on there because that's one that I've been experimenting with and it's it's a great one to have, especially now as more and more schools go to either a one-to-one environment or at least uh, an environment where there's plenty of access to computers. Edmodo works really, really well. And the nice thing you mentioned safety with Edmodo is that um, there is a lot of protection. It's a closed system and you can also restrict um, rights for, for different students, whether it be read only or they have full access to write and, and edit and so on. So that's a great one to add in there. And, well, uh, the cool Ed- thing about Edmodo is you got you have parent ID codes too. So the parents right. can actually see what their kids are doing and then they can see assignments and they can see if assignments are late. And we actually use that for our Digiteen project. So we had 750 kids in a group and it just worked beautifully. It was great. Yeah, we uh, our high school has for a long time has been using Moodle, and I don't know if it's a Moodle thing or our our district, our region thing, but it was through um like our our offsite um con- our service provider, and they're now charging for accounts for teacher accounts through Moodle to to set up, and we've been having a lot of conversations at our district about switching to Edmodo because you can essentially do the same thing that Moodle offers, but it's free, and there is those added extras like you said like the parent thing so that yeah definitely a a good one to take a look at and and they have an ipad app and i think the thing we have to really look at is here in the states 25 percent of the people who are on the internet are mobile access only now mobile access only so we have got to get in their hands in fact i was looking at a study this week that i put on my blog that showed that receiving text messages uh there was a a study of helping people who are alcoholics to move past the binge drinking and they they were actually sending these people text messages to encourage them to help them move and make progress and they found that those who received text messages improved more than those who did not and so my thought is if if they're receiving text messages and in, in changing behavior because of receiving text messages, why aren't we sending text messages to remind them that you have a test or remember to bring, you know, buy some pins tonight for goodness sake so you don't steal them off my desk or whatever it is. I mean, we don't want to overuse it, but, but we need to integrate mobile with schools. I mean, there was the study out of Abilene, uh, Texas uh, for statistics one that showed that the kids who studied on their mobile devices made better grades in statistics one than the kids who didn't have mobile access. So, you know, whatever we do, blogging is great and Edmodo is wonderful because you have iPad access, but we have to move into um, things and, and decisions that integrate, you know, especially if it's school-wide, it has to integrate with a mobile device, I think. Sure. I would argue, now, Mark, here comes the cheap plug. I would argue that, argue that any website, any service, any uh, utility is irrelevant if it doesn't have some kind of mobile app. Would you agree with that, Mark? I don't know that I'd go that <laughs> far, but uh, a mobile app is a nice thing to have, yes. Wait, doesn't Element OP, we just have a, an app, is that correct? Uh, we do. As of, <laughs> well, right now, we have an Android app, and hopefully in the near future, we'll have uh, an iPhone app as soon as all of that gets sorted out. Apparently, it takes roughly 17 years to get an app in the <laughs> iTunes store. <laughs> jab, jab. A, give, give or take a week. <laughs> what a coincidence that I just brought that up and we have an app pending. That's so weird. I didn't plan that at all. Yeah. Oh. yeah. One, of the, cool. one of the things that we noticed in our school with our middle school one-to-one iPad program 
is originally we went into it thinking that the kids would be still using our mobile laptop carts and things like that. And to date, um, this being our first year and just completing our first semester, we've never once had any of our middle school classes check out the laptop cart. Really? Which translates to the iPads in the hands of the students are enough. It's actually working and the students aren't requesting anything more. I mean, they're typing papers on this. They're using it for absolutely everything and it's working, which is not what I would have predicted and supports the idea of if it doesn't work with mobile, it's probably not going to last for very long. Well, have you seen the new gel uh, overlays on top of the iPad that are supposed to be the best keyboard ever invented for the thing? They're selling like crazy. They're a gel overlay that actually, I need to find it so I can throw it in the chat. Um, Or Miguel has probably heard of it too. But um, you can actually lay, you know, lay over, it lays over the top of the iPad. And it's Hmm. just a slightly raised. and, And they're saying, you know, it kind of eliminates the need even for external keyboards. But um, you know, that's the number one complaint. It's a keyboard. But these kids with smaller hands, they're not going to care anyway. Um, you know, it's amazing how fast you can type on the thing. My problem is, is and this, I ha- hate to admit this, but when I type, I actually type with my birdie finger. And when I do it in front of the kids, I get accused of making a very bad sign with my finger. And I Jessica. cannot retrain myself because I type with my middle finger. I can't stop it. That's my worst thing. <laughs> See, I've gotten lazy. When I type on that, it has the autocorrect, and it's pretty good, at least with uh, you know apostrophes and, and minor punctuation. So I'll go and I'll type all day on my iPad, and then I get home in front of my traditional keyboard on my computer, on my desktop, and I go to type, and I'm making all kinds of grammatical errors because I've just gotten lazy. That's, I guess, one negative to it, but makes you quick. <laughs> oh, Miguel found it. I stenopad. I'm looking to see. Um, that looks like it. The one I saw was blue. So maybe it's that blue one over there. I think that might be it. I'm going to have to look and see. But it's it's selling like crazy on the Amazon store. But thanks, Miguel. I think it's very similar to that. But, you know, there's some talk in the back channel about, you know, what happens when these things start paying. And, you know, we stro- our flat classroom, we almost, um, I'm not going to say we almost lost it. But what happened was Ning started charging and then our sponsor of the projects uh, pulled out at the same time, the day before we started our conference in Beijing. And it was interesting because our sponsors also hadn't given us the money. So we were literally financing our conference in February on our credit cards <laughs> till our sponsors gave us the money. And then here we, we lose, you know, the sponsorship and Ning is charging. And, you know, and that was really why we decided for Flat Classroom that we had to go to a pay model so that the schools would actually support it. I think that that we got it. We have to realize that things cost money. There's no such thing as free. You're always either giving up something. You're either giving up your privacy or you're giving up money. There's no such thing as free. Or you know they're they're getting you now so they can you can pay later. That's just a fact of life. So to me, at this point, I'd almost rather pay a little bit and have something that I know is going to be there than to just use everything free all the time. So I've kind of shifted some of my thoughts about the free stuff. But it's a good entry point when you don't have any money, that's for sure. Right. <laughs> exactly. Sure. Well, and I guess that moving on with the list then, what other kinds of free things would you suggest to teachers? 
Well, one of the neatest things is, you know, you have schools that can't use any social media tools. So there's something called Fakebook. One of my favorite websites is at classtools.net. They have all these neat tools, and we embed them in our wikis all the time because I love uh, I love the wiki. Uh, we use wiki spaces for that. But uh, they have one on there called Fakebook, and you can actually create a fake Facebook profile for a famous person. And our AP Lit teacher, I took it to her, and she had them use their author for their um, – for their term paper, and they had to have their contemporaries. So they had to have 10 friends on the page. And when you type it in, it actually pulls up a picture of who that person is. And so you literally will have, you know, Lord Byron, you'll have his contemporaries. And then she had them do uh, six realistic status updates, and it had to have replies from somebody who was a contemporary in a believable way. So the kids were in groups. They were talking about their authors. They were really getting to know the authors, the background, the context, what they wrote, what they would say. It was such a powerful experience using something the kids already have. And, you know, the interesting thing is when I tweet about fake fake book, people say, oh, it's illegal to make a fake profile on Facebook. It's like, no, you can do that. There are also some great um, templates you can download um, there's a, a free resources website out of the United Kingdom uh, that I became familiar with. I'm actually doing some work for them uh, called TES, T-E-S, and uh, it's TES Connect. And they have um, they just share all this free stuff. It's the largest uh, network of English-speaking teachers in the world. It's just now coming to the U.S. So, But they have um, Facebook and Twitter templates you can download in Word, and you can have kids do the same thing in Word. So you don't have to have access to the Internet uh, to do that sort of thing. There's also, I think it's called Fake Twitter that's on classtools.net, where you can do tweets and replies and that sort of thing. And it's just very interesting to use. That's kind of, to me, an in-between blogging and social bookmarking and collaborative. It's sort of like role play, you know, how we used to do role play. Now, you know, that's a really kind of cool thing. Um, and then you move into social bookmarking. I think every class should really have a, a social bookmarking group. Um, I love Digo. And the real reason is that when I bookmark Digo and send it to my students in Flat Classroom, I can send it to, um, you know what, my daughter, just turn on the dryer. Susan, turn off the dryer. <laughs> turn off the dryer. <laughs> they just don't think about things sometimes. Um, but... Um, you can I can bookmark it and actually send it to my blog. So my blog post that I have every morning um, is it actually an auto post from Digo, and I can tweet from Digo too. So it's a great tool because it's one of those. It's kind of like the um, the 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 jackknife of the world. I mean, it, it just has so many Swiss Army knife. You know, it's one of those kind of tools. And you know, delicious is important, but. The, the beautiful thing about a bookmarking group is that you can link up with PhDs, like with the Horizon Report. They have certain tags they use. You can pull that stuff out into your students. So that's that's just great. What what do you guys use for your social bookmarking? You know, I'm still stuck, kind of stuck on Delicious, and I guess I can say I liked it before it was cool. I remembered when <laughs> I used to use it when it was still Delicious spelled uh, D-E-L dot I-C-I-O dot U-S, and then they, they totally sold out and just went to a dot com. But um, I agree with you. You know, looking into Deagle a little bit more, there's just so many more options to to use it, so many easier ways to integrate it. So I'm slowly making the shift over to Deagle, but um, I still have just a lot of stuff that's saved well, on Delicious that I haven't ported over yet. Yeah. Well, you know, you don't have to leave Delicious because you can import everything, and then you can also set it so it exports. So every single thing that I save to Deagle automatically goes to Delicious. 
Right, right. So you really don't ever leave. You just, you know, the nice thing that Digo does is that you can have tagging standards in your groups and you can also use it with kids under 13. So Maggie, who founded Digo, is like really in touch with educators. So every time we ask for something, uh, she's always been, been great about getting it because she knows that, you know, good content really comes from educators. You know, well, we're the one, ones who one really negative vet thing. Stuff. One negative thing about Delicious is that it, I think it was recent, well, recently in the last year or so, bought out by Yahoo. And now if you go to Delicious to create a new account, you actually need a Yahoo email to do that. Whereas I kind of got grandfathered in because I made it before that happened. So I still have my original, like just completely separate Delicious login. But I don't think you can even get those anymore. So it really just kind of pigeonhole you because a lot of people don't want to have that other email if they aren't currently using Yahoo. So that's another driving force that I I see a lot of people moving towards Digo instead. Yeah, our our teachers aren't actually using any social bookmarking tools. Oh, get on that, Brian. Come on. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to push um, a few of them towards Digo in the hopes that they will, you know, kind of breed and, and, uh, foster the environment for a few of the others to jump on board. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people, Miguel just put in the back channel about that a lot of people use Evernote, and you know, I actually use use Evernote a lot, but to me, you know, Digo is just a very different thing, because, you know, I'll sit back and I'll say, now what was that that I used two months ago, and and, you know, I'm pretty consistent with my tags, so I'm actually able to find things um, that I used to not be able to find. So, um, you know, I think that that social bookmarking is very powerful if you know how to use it, uh, especially if you're blogging and you just don't have time to blog. The other thing that's beautiful is if you make a group, it'll do an auto post from a group. So you could have the four or five of you and, and you could you could uh, bookmark it to your group and then once a day or once a week, that thing will auto post as a blog post. It's, well, this is what we saw this week or this is what we saw today, which is pretty cool. Sure, sure. All right, well, moving on our list of free tools, the next category is collaborative writing. Where would you suggest people turn to if they're looking for some free tools for collaborative writing? Well, students need to be able and prepared to write for like a Wikipedia or an Encyclopedia of Life. Encyclopedia of Life is EOL.org. And I think that this is part of our future. If you look at, uh, read Wikinomics by Don Tapscott, or uh, we have a lot about it in our book coming up in January. Um, and actually, my book number two is called Collaborative Writing in the Cloud with Common Core. It's actually saying, how do we do this collaborative writing in, in alignment with Common Core standards? But um, Google Docs is, is one of the biggest because you can edit pretty much simultaneously. Now, some people really like to use the Google Sites because, you know, that actually came from from a wiki-type platform. Um, but I'm not a big fan of Google Sites unless you're just making a web page. I like Wikispaces, but, they, you know, they're still wet paint and, and so many other wiki tools. I think the important thing is that students should be exposed to and know how to use a wiki before they graduate. Um, you know, the beautiful thing is Wikispaces is just one of those companies that is really um, – in full disclosure, they do they do uh, sponsor Flat Classroom um, uh, with a with a wiki, but uh, I've been using them forever, and uh, they are very responsive with what we need to do. So, for example, we have 700 kids editing a wiki, and we it got to where we couldn't assess it. So now you could they added a little feature where you can type in a kid's user ID, and you can actually subscribe to the RSS for just that user, but you can also find everything they've done on the wiki with that username. So when you have 700 kids on a wiki, that's just a really nice thing to have. Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, but, you know, there are other things like Etherpad. When I was in China, they didn't have access to anything. 
So they actually installed Etherpad on a server, which is uh, was taken. I think it was bought by was it bought by Google, and then they yeah, made it, it open Google. source. Yeah, so you could download that and put it on a server, and, and in a lot of countries that are behind the the Iron Curtain or wherever they are, uh, they, they can't the Great Firewall of China, I should say. Um, <laughs> they use Etherpad. Um, so I think that if you're going to collaborate with other countries, you should be at least familiar with Etherpad. Um, as an open source alternative, because that's what a lot of them use. And of course, there are tons of other uh, collaborative writing tools you can use as well, but they do, do need to be aware of how to collaborate and, and work together. Oh, absolutely. And I, I agree with you what you were saying about Wiki, uh, Wikispaces earlier, about how responsive they are. Uh, I've had one little encounter with them. I used it uh, about two years ago with a class, and I was really looking to do within each class then have like each student have their own folder almost as like a digital portfolio and it didn't have the option to nest folders within other folders and that bothered me a little bit that seemed like it should be an easy option to have so i actually wrote a blog post saying you know this is what i want to do is there any way to do it and within the first 12 hours or so someone from wikispaces actually found my blog and then responded back and we had a little dialogue so it seems like that's a that's the pretty much the go-to site when you're talking about wikis, but it also seems like they understand the value that they have and, and the role they play in education. And, and that's always a good way to have, you know, good thing to have is that, that two-way conversation. And um, as far as the Etherpad goes, I know there's a... Yeah, and right. you know, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, it's one of the few that, that doesn't do ads because I really think... Um, that you can't have uh, Google AdSense on educational sites. Uh, when Julie was in Qatar and I was here in Camilla, what started happening is those Google AdSense ads are, are generated by IP address. And she started getting ads on our, um, our, our Ning, actually. Um, sex, you know, click here for sexy girls in Qatar. And that's in the Middle East. That is big, big. Now, like we were going to lose our whole project. So Ning actually took ads off for a time being. That's when Steve Hargan still worked uh, worked with them, and he got them to take ads off. But Wikispaces also took their ads off, and they're one of the few that still kept the ads off. But I just don't think you can have um, free ad-based ad uh, AdSense with education. It just does not work. No, you never know that one rogue ad that gets through, and then you're in all kinds of trouble. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right, well, moving right along our list, uh, the next category we wanted to talk about was photography, and that's a, a big one, especially with schools. So where where can you go, Vicki, if you're looking for photography resources? Well, you know, there are a ton of different things that you can do. Um, you know, it's interesting. I wanted to talk about this topic just to kind of bring something out. Um, I've got an iPhone. Actually, for Christmas, I'm asking for new glass for my iPhone because I got a sorry case. So if you get an iPhone, get a good case. <laughs> um, but an iPhone or an iPod Touch that you can take uh, pictures on because I have my students taking pictures on my iPhone and iCloud syncs it to my iPad. So I would sit with my iPad at the desk and they were doing green screen with my iPhone at the window because they had to get the lighting Right. Um, they were photoshopping their faces onto uh, movie posters. So they, they would sit there at the window taking pictures and they would come on over to my desk and we would pick out the right picture on my iPad and then we would use Dropbox to send it to the class Dropbox because I'm paperless in my classroom, as paperless as possible. Mm -hmm. And that is so powerful. I, I can't even, I had no idea iCloud would do that for me. 
But that is just so incredible because you have it workflow from camera to editing screen to straight to the kid's computer. I mean, what used to take us 30 to 45 minutes, we can literally do in two to three minutes. So I think that as we look at hardware, you know, and I don't want to make this an ad for Apple because, I mean, I, I use PCs in my classroom. But with things like Dropbox and iCloud, um, we, we don't have to have the plug in the thing, hook in the hook in the, the card and go through the nightmare of, oh, it didn't add it right. Or they clicked close instead of open. Or uh, they took it into Picasa and imported everything and cleared off the whole card. You know, that's the biggest pain with photography is the kids get, are, are pretty clueless sometimes about how to deal with those memory cards. Um, so what are y'all using in the classroom? And then we can mention a few of the, the cool phot photography type things. Unfortunately, um, in, in regards to the ad for Apple, we're pretty much using iCloud and um, then iPhoto, which we then, you know, post um, like even classroom pictures into Flickr and things like that. And then our teachers share those those group pages one time with their, you know, with their students. And then they can just continuously straight from iPhoto, you know, from their iPad into iPhoto. Then they post wow. everything, you know, out that way. You know, I'm glad that you That's mentioned great. iCloud because, you know, with the most recent uh, release of the iPhone, it seems like all the, the publicity is falling on Siri. And even like the uh, there's been rumors of the iPad 3 coming out. And even that seems to get a lot of press. And then almost as an afterthought, you hear, oh, yeah, and there's this thing called iCloud, by the way. And, and it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. But you're absolutely right. It just makes... Um, that synchronicity is so easy uh, across the classroom and across all those multiple devices. It, it does. And, you know, now we use Picasa. That's kind of our favorite album type thing because, um, you know, I use Blogger and I embed a Picasa web album into our website. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, I mean, it's not all about just Apple, but I've just never seen a workflow like that. I mean, I have a, a high-def camera uh, that we use, that we film. We, we pull it into Pinnacle Studio, and they edit, and that's great. Um, but the workflow now, um, you know, my kids will bring iPads and, and their iPhones, and, their, and I just tell them to bring their cell phones. Um, it's just... Um, it's just a, a, a great workflow. So, you know, I think that you, when you talk about photography, you have to not only talk about apps, you have to talk about how do you get it into the computer. Um, and that, to me, has always been the biggest headache. Um, we use Photoshop, which, of course, is, is a, a paid type thing. Uh, but, you know, there's a, a ton of cool apps. There's iTimelapse, which is an app for the iPhone that's amazing that you can take time-lapse photography. Um, the other thing that is wonderful that actually makes a great Christmas gift um, that I do for my family every year are the digital picture frames. And, you know, kids should know, well, one thing they don't really understand as well as I think they should is how to take files from one media to another. So one of my goals for them is to always have it so they can move it from here to there and they should be able to, you know, we use Zamzar a lot, which I know you can use for bad purposes, but we try to use it for good. Uh, but Zamzar.com. Com that does all the ripping, but they should be able to convert from MP3 to WAVE, and then they should be able to take it from from JPEG to PNG, and they should be able to do all these different things um, as they as they do things. And there's tons of of photography uh, of apps out there, um, but it's interesting because even if you look at what Adobe's doing, I think that they realize the future is in the the handheld tablet. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and and if you look, actually. I think a TechCrunch named PhotoSynth, which is by Microsoft. It's a free app 
for the iPad, like their number two app this year of 2011. And that I was lets just you take mention 360. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, it does like the landscape uh, pictures. It, what it does, it actually will automatically line up as you're taking pictures. You can kind of move it around the room and it will stitch them together and make a, a landscape picture. And it works great. I have it on my iPad and it's awesome. And then actually, you know, you mentioned Photoshop and they have a free app and it's actually pretty good as far as uh, basic cropping and, and photo manipulation uh, options on it. But exactly what you're talking about i'll take a, a picture with say photo synth um then plug it into the the yeah. photo shop app and then you can edit it and crop it and do whatever and then push it out through icloud so yeah it's like it's the power of mobile devices first of all is those apps but then it just is multiplied when you can use those apps together to make something even bigger happen yeah, and it's interesting. Um, I'm an Adobe education leader, so I'm under an NDA, and I can't talk about some of the details of something I've seen that's coming, but I will say oh, what I can me. say. <laughs> I'm sorry, but um, I did like, see what a, a demo that is. Something that, great's happening, but I can't say what. <laughs> well, I can say that, that I know that they are working in the tablet area. Um, and they've, they've announced that publicly, so I could say that. Um, some, some super incredible integration with, with, um, they'll, I think they'll probably always be the premier photo editing type tool, but okay. it was interesting. I had my kids Photoshop, uh, their faces onto movie posters and, um, I call it, uh, my sexy boyfriend or my sexy girlfriend. It's a fun thing you do. And they, they pick their favorite boyfriend or girlfriend. They paste their faces on there and we were doing it and, and we were doing layers and, oh, it's so hard. You know, it takes two or, two or three days. And I had a kid come in with his iPad and say, hey, Miss Vicky, I did this on my iPad in three minutes. We don't need Photoshop. <laughs> I said, well, you don't get the point of, I'm actually trying to teach you Photoshop, not just do this thing. So, you know, the, the thing about the, the photos is they're just little tiny tasks that can be done with all these different pieces in these apps. I think it's about finding a workflow that works, um, you know, for, for what they're doing. Um, for example, I turned my parents on to Picasa and they use Picasa for everything now and it works fabulous for them. But because we're using the, um, you know, the Apple products in the school, that just seems to work well for them because yeah. when they plug in their camera or their, you know, now the iOS 5 and the iPad, it just ends up in, um, in iPhoto. So we were just looking for the easiest two button, two click export, um, methodology. And that's where we ended up with Flickr. Yep. Um, cause what we kept finding is, you know, they would go to post pictures and every single time they did that, they'd want to share again and they'd have to go through that whole part and find the parents. And I'm like, just create one folder, dump everything in there and let the parents deal with it. And because they want to see, they're willing to look through the photos, even if there's a couple hundred in there over the course of the year. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, it's uh, start with whatever hardware, you know, that you're going to get use in your school and then kind of back into the software because, you know, there's GIMP, there's Paint.net, which, you know, you shouldn't, if you have a PC, you shouldn't use uh, the native Paint program. You should use Paint.net. And it's actually not at Paint.net. You have to Google Paint.net. It's a downloadable free um, tool. But, um, you know, there's so many great things that you should just put on your your computer and if it's a pc it should be picasa but you've already got some great things with an apple so you're set well, we actually you know? use 
um, Picasso has a pretty decent um, like collage tool in it. And so we actually have Picasso on a number of our machines because like our yearbook program, um, that class will actually build collages using Picasso for the yearbook and then um, send those out. Yeah, and one other really cool thing is uh, it's called Big Huge Labs. It'll let you do all kinds of things with photos, uh, and I'm throwing that in the back channel and in our in our doc. But um, that's a fun one because that lets you make those funny motivational posters. But I actually made them for our, our football team. Um, has actually won 24 games in a row. We've won state two years in a row. But I made motivational pictures out of their their team photo, um, and the one of them it said heart, the biggest muscle. Um, the, the most important muscle on the football field. And it had their picture, and I, we had it all through the locker room and everything. You can do so many things with pictures, um, but, you know, Big Huge Labs is a fun place. That's, that's a great place. So we probably need to move on to some of these other, um, these other things here. Yeah, we still have a couple more categories. But first, on the flip side of that, have you ever seen, this is totally off the subject, I think it's, is it just despair.com with a demotivational pictures? <laughs> it, it, they, you can actually buy them. You can buy, can, you can buy calendars and wall posters and things, and it it looks like those typical motivational posters. But the sayings are just so tongue in cheek and so passive aggressive. And uh, oh. several times, I, I've had teachers come to me, and we've talked about this particular site. And a couple teachers have come to me and said, you know, do you think if we bought these and put them up like around the school, would anyone even read them to notice like how how negative they are? <laughs> but. Um, no. you know, but that big, huge labs is crazy because I guess you, you can have some fun with it too. <laughs> you know, it's really yeah, good. You can, we, we do that just to teach them how to upload photos. Right. <laughs> um, you know, when they haven't learned how to upload photos, then, then it's good to start with a place like big, huge labs because they want to put their face on a magazine or whatever. Right. You, you know that those demotivators can actually be great writing prompts in the classroom. If you find the right <laughs> one and look for it, it's amazing how much you can get a student to write starting with one of those as the topic versus, right. <laughs> you know, starting with something serious and things like that. They'll just start going and out, going and realize later on, you know, the, oh, wait, I'm writing. What am I doing? Right, right. All right, well, moving on, uh, the next category is music. Uh, where where could you find some tools for music, Vicki? Well, you know, the main thing with music is, you know, we keep talking about workflow, and I think it comes back to that. Um, you know, I've taught my kids and my students how to hook their cell phones into the computer and record into Audacity off their cell phone or to record into Audacity off their iPad. And I think in terms of workflow, you know, you should let them use the apps they're comfortable with, whether it's, you know, something like Guitar Free or MadPad HD or BeatPad or BeatWave or uh, PIY 4HD. These are all like, things I've got on my iPad that we use in my class. You know, it's not as much about picking a specific tool as it is letting them bring what they have into the classroom that they've recorded on or whatever, and then knowing how to uh, to bring it in, but also to talk about the ethics. Because, you know, the thing is, is that it's so easy to pirate now that it would be easy not to think about it being pirate pirating, uh, you know, because you could, you could literally stream off your iPad and record into Audacity on a computer. So you have to talk about that. Creative Commons search, but, you know, the kids don't like the music on Creative Commons as much, uh, the owl search and all that sort of thing. So I've kind of gotten to where we try to get the kids to compose their own uh, music, and they, they love it, um, and composing it on an iPad or an iPhone or an iPod or, um, you know, I think that's kind of the direction they're heading. Um, you know, there are a lot of folks that just want to let kids use all kinds of, of music and claim fair use. But the problem is the line is blurring there so much. 
because, for example, on Ning, I may be a nonprofit using Ning, but I'm paying Ning for the service, so Ning is for profit. So they just rip stuff down. And if SOPA goes through, God forbid, you know, they'll have a button they can just push and just <laughs> take our website down. And we're going to all just be in trouble because we're just, lots of people are going to lose their school websites and they're not going to care that we're fair use. They're just going to hit the button and get rid of us, you know? Yeah. And the common argument with teachers is that they didn't know. They don't know what they can and can't use. And that's just not a good argument anymore. You can't plead ignorance when it comes to copyright law. Yeah, you can. And, you know, I know that, that fair use has, has gotten a lot more lenient, um, but I, I just think that what we need, we need to prepare our kids for a non-fair use world. Uh, they're not going to have fair use when they get out of school. Uh, they're not always going to be a student. And if we're educating them, then we just educate them for the real world. Because here's the thing, the line is so thin between for-profit and not-for-profit. What if a kid makes an amazing video? that goes viral and they want to start selling ads and they upload it to their personal YouTube channel. Boom, they have just moved from fair use to their fair game for the copyright police, you know? So I think it's just easier to try to just, fair use is a fallback, but not a first line of defense. I just don't think it should be. Sure. And I, I know I, I see someone, I think it was Mark, adding it into the notes as well. I know one of the big ones that I've liked to use because it is online and you can actually integrate it now into Google if you have a Google account is Aviary. And that's another great way to do basically podcasting yeah. online. Do you use Aviary at all? Um, we have it in our Google account. I've heard a ton of ton about it. A lot of people really love it. I don't have any firsthand experience, but I've heard great things about it. Yeah, um, you'll have to forgive so me for, for introducing something. Docs. You'll have to forgive, forgive me for introducing something that's not an iPad app. I'm, I apologize for that. <laughs> but I just wanted the audience <laughs> to know that there are other devices out there. Uh, these things called computers uh, and uh, Aviary and Jam Studio are two things I put in there that are good for that. Well, the whole Aviary suite. I, I can't remember what they're called, but there's one for video and there's one for photo one for audio it, it really is a i think it's just aviary.com but there's a great suite of online tools there in itself but um aviary is a, a good one for music yeah that's that's great um uh, you know there are tons of things and and uh Music is not as much my expertise as some of these others. I think the big thing is, can the kids take music off of a device they created on, whether it's a droid or whatever, and get it to the computer? Can they manipulate it? Do they know what it means to normalize a track and just some of the basics? And then do they understand the basic um, outputs, uh, MP3, wave? Do they know how to burn a CD if they need to? But do they know how to upload and, and how a podcast works? I think those are kind of the biggest things they need to know in terms of music uh, as well as copyright. So uh, that's kind of where I would hit that. Um, you know, we're kind of running short on time, but, I, you know, we, we could talk about digital film. Um, you know, of course, there's the iMovie, there's uh, Windows Live Movie Maker. My kids love Windows Live Movie Maker. Um, you know, you've got these movie making apps like iMovie on the iPad. Honestly, I'm not as crazy about uh, the movie apps on, on mobile devices yet. I mean, maybe they'll get there, but they kind of feel too canned for me and you can't use multiple tracks. And I just right. don't think they're there. Um, but, you know, then there, then there are fun things like Puppet Pals. That is a hilarious app, and you can do these cute little finger plays, and uh, you know. So there's some things you can do like that 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 are great. But in terms of real heavy duty film editing, I think you have to go with a with a film editor. What what have you guys found? 
No, I agree with you. I, I use, I tend to use things like the iPad or iPhone or those devices now, not so much for the actual editing of digital film, but it makes it a lot easier to capture that film as opposed to the old days when I trucked down to the AV closet and take out the digital video camera and the miles of cables and cords that come along with it and then try to find a computer that has the FireWire port or whatever the case may be. It's a lot easier just to take that quick video and then you can, again, through iCloud or however you, you get it to the computer, then you can edit it from there. And I think that's becoming a lot more prominent, especially now that like flip cameras have kind of gone the way of the dinosaur. Um, <laughs> and actually, on a totally unrelated, do you know the the guy, I can't think of his name, one of you might remember, who made the flip cameras. Do you know what he's now doing now that he sold the flip camera franchise? Does anyone know this? What? Nope. He, he yeah. is, uh, you got to find the article. I, I'm not kidding. The guy who invented the flip camera and then eventually sold it to Cisco and now they've done away with it, he, his new endeavor, his new franchise is going to be a nationwide uh, chain of grilled cheese restaurants. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, um, for, you got to look it up. When I first heard that, I thought someone it's was true. kidding. It's true. I read that article. He's not yeah. lying. <laughs> but that, that's what he's going to be doing. So. Um, oh, wow. my goodness. I, I guess because of the grilled, the love of grilled cheese, um, we now have to rely on those portable devices for our video because we, we don't have flip cameras anymore. <laughs> wow. I was going to say, yeah. to me, the portable devices are like the next step beyond the, the flip camera because while we know that our, our big digital video cameras and things like that will actually take better footage, the process of getting it from the camera to getting it onto a device where you can edit and doing that is so much longer. I'm finding our teachers going out, you know, sending the students out using the iPads and things like that to shoot their video. Then they use iMovie on the iPad to cut it up, you know, into smaller plate pieces. And then that is all sent to an actual computer to put it together, whether it be using iMovie or an Adobe Premiere on a few machines if a student comes in because we don't pay for that. Um, or, you know, something like a Final Cut Express or something that has a little bit better um, well, uh, options. Are you finding your kids are filming the wrong direction, though? Because they keep taking that iPad and, and going <laughs> uh, the vertical with it. Or uh, the yes. iPhone, you know, you've got that flip problem where it films upside down if you use the uh, volume button as the trigger. Yes, and, my you wife know, does a lot that of also. programs don't flip it very well. <laughs> I actually first experienced that with my wife where she said, here, can you put this together for something? And, you know, and the video comes out really, you know, narrow and tall and 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 whatnot and yeah we've had some of that with our students um but i know a couple teachers who are using it i i would say on a more regular basis have just gone through the training process so you know after one or two mistakes it tends to uh straighten itself out and they've been doing okay we actually noticed them putting their fingers over the camera in the middle of a shoot more than oh, anything yeah. Or, yeah, or, or running into things uh, with the iPad yeah. and not with the iPhone <laughs> or the i, but they run into things because they don't really know, you know, where they are. I guess exactly. I, the other one is the need for some sort of device to steady them because when they go to shoot video, um, and they're just you know walking down the hallway, it's bouncing all over the place, and everybody's getting sick, and um, it's always interesting that way. Yeah. 
Well, you know, audio, the two big things with shooting film is, of course, uh, getting good audio. So if you're filming outside, you know, I still, we still like to film on our HD camera. Um, and, and the reason I only, I only have one HD camera. And the reason is I have to supervise my classroom and a film shoot at the same time. I don't want <laughs> more than one film shoot going on. I really don't. I mean, I actually had a kid injured um, this semester in a film shoot, and I had literally turned my back for one minute. I had him shooting right outside my door, and somebody was horsing around. Now, the funny thing is it was caught on film. It's like the kid looked both ways, and, and he was on film. But anyway, Doing his own stunts, another- huh? <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they do want to do stunts. I mean, you really, when you film, you really have to lay the ground rules that, you know, we're not going to do stunts. We're not, you know, there's certain things we're not going to do. I won't allow moving vehicles in my, in my things. If they have a car in it, <laughs> the car has to be stopped and they have to make it look like the car's moving. I mean, there's just certain things you can't do that they want to do when you shoot. Um, <laughs> do you make yeah. them, uh, just take the steering wheel and just kind of wiggle it back and forth as if they're driving. Well, I don't mind if they're shooting <laughs> in the camera, like an over-the-shoulder point of view shot. I don't mind the ca- the car moving for that. But I'm talking about if they have a person in front of the car, um, <laughs> I'll actually make the people like you know uh, stop the car and then you shoot and then stop the car. They have to do stop motion or something. I mean, but you know, kids just they don't think and. Uh, so I have one really good HD camera. We have a really good tripod that we got from, um, I had some people from Edutopia and from Pearson who came and built at my school not too long ago. And I had them go, I think it's B&H Photography, pick out some really good lighting equipment so we can do green screen with really inexpensive chroma key plastic that you can pick up for about eight bucks on eBay. Um, so the kids can fly and they can do all that kind of stuff. But it's all about having at least one good set of uh, you know your your tripod, your audio. Actually, have a good external mic um, and good lighting equipment. Um, at my when school, I need it. at my school for a green screen, we use uh, green butcher paper. Uh, That's what we wall. use. Yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say that, and and they even tape it together, and so you can yep. have two uh, in double height. <laughs> yeah, we have one room. They just painted the whole wall green, so that it's stationary, oh, so but that works really I well. Want. I yeah, want a green wall, except then you have the the shadows. I mean, it's you know, green screen is really actually pretty hard to do. Um, yeah. If if you want to do it right, you know, you end up with a ghost effect and that sort of thing. Sometimes uh, you can green screen, and I in um, When Is Life Movie Maker supposedly I know there's a hack to do it, but we just use Pinnacle and, and green screen that way. Um, but anyway, so and then of course one other thing to think about is uh, is cartooning, and much uh, safer than video is, is a lot of fun. Um, but it's also, you know, uh, you can ha- get higher order thinking from it. When I teach my eighth graders the difference between Web 1 and Web 2, and we actually now get into Web 3 discussion, um, I uh, have them create a cartoon explaining the difference between Web 1 and Web 2, and they can't say that Web 2 is faster. They have to truly explain it with a cartoon. And, you know, that's actually pretty hard to do in two or three frames. So, and the kids really love cartoons. Um, so, I think there are a lot of things you can do. Of course, there's Comic Life. I like Toon Do. Uh, there's a new one I just found out about um, Larry Falazzo that is called Disappainted.com. And so, why don't we just end up... Um, I know we've kind of gone through a lot, and we're over an hour here, so let's finish up. Um, but, you know, the big thing to teachers is to connect to some places that will help you find all these wonderful resources. And just, you know, for me, I always keep a list of what are my next three things I want to do. And I take 15 minutes, two to three times a week during my break, which is the only time my room is open, and uh, play with those new tools. So, um 
you know, that's what you have to do. And then pick what works for you. It's not the same for everybody. I mean, I'm all for a new tool, but if it works, I'm sticking with it. So um, anyway, I appreciate being on, guys. Uh, you've been great. Oh, man, we could have you on for three more shows. Um, excellent, <laughs> exactly. excellent uh, material for us. You Thank might go you. to sleep. Yeah, no way. Well, and, uh, you know, you mentioned at the start of the conversation that you have a, a slide share that has a whole bunch of tools. So we'll make sure that we uh, we link to that as well. I think it's your 50 ways. Um, and you only went through a handful of those today. So we'll uh, we'll have yeah. that up in the show notes. And, you know, if, if you're interested at some point, again, we'll have to have you back so that you can go through some more of those tools because they're they're always coming out with more, you know, bigger and better. So we can catch up on some of those next time, maybe. And, and maybe our cool, teachers will I actually... like the opportunity to interview you guys. You, I, you know, do y'all ever get interviewed? Because y'all have amazing stories yourself. It, that's Inter actually how they recruited me. I, actually, that's how we recruited Brian. This is <laughs> us uh, uh, all down the line. Um, I was a guest on uh, the Tightwad or Tech, which was Mark's show, and then they suckered. I mean, invited me in to be <laughs> a host, and then I turned around and did the same thing for Brian. He was a, a guest at one point, so. Hey, Vicky, you're next in line. Oh. <laughs> what, what do you think about being a co-host? <laughs> uh, I've already had. I, I was on a show on EdTech Talk a long time ago called The Women of Web 2. I was one oh, of the original cool. four founders of that show and did, I don't know, 50 or 60 shows. And uh, when I had Flat Classroom, I had to choose between Flat Classroom, WoW 2, and my sanity. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> so, and you picked sanity? That's it's weird. It's awesome, though. That's great. <laughs> Well, so thank you again. Uh, and, uh, I did not pick sanity. I thought I was picking sanity. There is no such thing as sanity anymore <laughs> with three kids. I've got a 16-year-old son, a 15-year-old daughter, and uh, my son eats four Big Macs for a meal. He's six six and growing still. My daughter's six one, and all I do is cook. So my life right now is cooking. But you know what? In three years, I will. I am going to die to have a show because they will be gone. I'll have big-time empty nest, and I'm not going to know what to do with myself. Or there my five go. pounds of hamburger I make for my uh, uh, meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you again, Vicky. Well, I can all over and feed you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again, Vicky, and good luck with the book. Um, again, we'll also link to that, but it was flatclassroombook.com, and uh, we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Thanks. Catch Thanks, you later. Vicky. Thanks for coming on. All right, so that was Vicki Davis, and man, she just had a ton of good resources for us, huh, Brian? Exactly. Now I only have two days left before break to actually integrate and get all these tech tips and things like that in front of my teachers because I know they're dying to work over their break, and I need yeah. to provide something for them. And, and didn't she say earlier that, that 10-hour professional development, that's the way to go? Oh, wait, no, yes. she said the opposite. That's my, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could have done that. And probably on the last day and like run real late in the day, that would have been perfect. Oh, yeah. No, but you see, you can, uh, you can phrase it to your teachers that you thought that since it's the day before a long break, you'd spend all their time giving them new resources because they'd have a lot of time during break to actually practice them. That makes sure, sense sure. sound when you think about it. Uh, so That's right. So let's just move right on to the end. And uh, actually, Brian, I, I think I'm in agreement with you, or maybe you're in agreement with me, that uh, Vicky has completely dominated with fantastic resources. So there's no sense in us trying to compete with that. So how about we just go ahead and skip the tips of the week? Are you good with that? <laughs> I, I'm good with that. I think uh, I think she's got some great resources, and we'll just let uh, let that lay, and and they can do um, uh, check those out and and have a good time with it. But 
I would like to tell you guys how you can contact us. Um, recently, we've um, updated the website a little bit. Thank you, Mark, for doing that. Um, and essentially, if you just go to elementop.com and you find our Tightwad teacher page there, all of our contact information is there. We would love, absolutely love to hear from you. Um, so we're going to direct you over to elementop.com and um, slash tightwad teacher oh slash tightwad teacher if you want to go there directly but i do want to encourage you to check out the other shows so if you hit elementopi.com maybe you'll hit a couple other shows in the process how's that especially sound? <laughs> especially periodic table because uh yours truly is on there this week absolutely um great ways to uh to offer some feedback um on that website we want to encourage you to hit the uh, forums um to offer some feedback you can also um hit either john or i on Twitter, uh, John could be found at John Mikulski, and I can be found at Bruger. Um, also, we're on Facebook and can be reached by phone 559-I-AM-OP. And um, if you'd like to, uh, Pastor Mark, um, Mark, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Just elementopi.com. That's where I live. <laughs> he lives, like, right in there, in the page. I'm not kidding. It's a little cramped, um, but uh, the rent <laughs> Tough to fit the family in, but uh, you make make do, right? All right. Well, and uh, next week, uh, next week's going to be an interesting show. I don't think we're going to have a guest. I think that in light of um, the upcoming new year, we're going to do a special New Year's resolution show. So that is the only uh, carrot that I'm dangling for next week. How's that? <laughs> Sounds great to me. All right. Well, uh, I guess let's not... Uh, Let's not go any longer today. We'll leave uh, leave now so that everything that Vicky shared can sink in. Uh, so for now, this is John signing off. And Brian signing off. And Mark saying Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.